Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Si, senor. Wake up, America. It's Thursday, January 19, 2023. Good morning and welcome back to the final hour of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverins and our studio producer, Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us across America and beyond, wherever you may be. Great to be with you, our Relevant Radio family here on the network on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. On Thursdays, we always take a moment to remember the institution of the Holy Eucharist on Holy Thursday by our Lord Jesus Christ. Try to visit the Blessed Sacrament sometime today uh, if you can. It doesn't have to be a a long visit, just a a quick stop and a quick hello uh, to our Lord. Uh, Try to do it. uh, If you can't do it today, sometime uh, this week, uh, that would be great. Now, today is also the second day of of the week of prayer for Christian unity. This octave uh, culminates next Wednesday on the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. Father James Kabicki will be uh, with us at the bottom of the hour with much more on the meaning of this octave. Now, this Friday marks a historic day for the pro-life movement, as we talked about uh, last hour with uh, Sean Carney of 40 Days for Life. It's the first March for Life since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. In celebration of this victory and the continued efforts to protect all human life in every state, join the March for Life in spirit this Friday with the hashtag Fast for Life. Take an active part in the march. Uh, You can do it from your home or your office by praying and fasting, uniting your prayers uh, with those of the March Pilgrims for the Protection of the Unborn. Now, how are our relevant radio listeners participating across our nation and around the world? Uh, Check out these responses, these international responses. Uh, Chi from the Philippines writes, Fast for 16 to 18 hours, nothing except water, coffee, and tea during the fasting period. Donald from Australia, fasting to save the kids and stop abortion. And Maria from Sao Paulo, Brazil in South America, fast from television or internet use. That is so encouraging, as uh, we've already heard from so many of our listeners from across the country. Already thousands have jumped on board, and of course, uh, to hear from these international ones is is very uplifting. So join us this Friday for hashtag Fast for Life. You can sign up this morning at relevantradio.com slash fast. Want to bring in our morning air team, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories that you are keeping an eye on that are making headlines here this hour? Well, kind of, but not exactly like if we hit our credit card limits, the U.S. running up against its limit, the debt limit uh, needs to be raised by Congress. There'll be a bit of a wrestling match between the president and the Republicans in the House uh, over that, so the U.S. doesn't default. Does this put a little uh, extra pressure on a new speaker, uh, Kevin McCarthy, uh, of the Republicans? Well, probably since his margin for getting stuff done is very narrow with uh, just a narrow majority for Republicans and then amongst the Republicans, uh, some factions that don't all play nice together. And so possibly, John, the country might have to go out and get a second job. <laughs> well, the last thing that our nation needs is yet a- another crisis. Uh, and though I, so I hope that one way or the other they find a way to work it out. 
Well, maybe they could get a second job as a pizza delivery guy, although hopefully not for this pizza that is coming out. <laughs> pizza Hut is trying to break the record. And uh, here is uh, Pete, the Pizza Hut uh, president talking about that very pizza. It's about 14,000 square feet, so if you think about that, it's going to be like 68,000 slices of pizza when we're all done. And the great thing is none of it's going to waste. We can actually donate it to some local food banks here in the Los Angeles community, so we're really excited about that. I don't know if a, a pizza delivery car could do that. Maybe like they'd have to get like airlifted with uh, helicopters or something. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That That is a really, really big pizza. I'm looking at it as we speak. Uh, it looks like it would uh, fill up uh, an entire uh, NBA basketball court. I'm just imagining a big Chinook kind of coming down with uh, towing one of those pizzas underneath it, coming down on your front lawn. Oh, man, that would be great. Yeah, that but would you, be, you, you know, I know there's many different pizza sizes. You got large and extra large and even Fiesta, but that would be like for... <laughs> The block and the town, that's a big pizza. Just think of the uh, all the cheese and all the pepperonis that was needed to make uh, this gargantuan pizza. What's your favorite topping, John? Um, I like uh, pepperoni and sausage. Uh, I know my son loves uh, pepperoni. My wife likes to make homemade pizza, so maybe this will give her a little extra inspiration uh, to make some more. How about you, Sarah? Well, let's see. I, you know, I can't pass up a good pepperoni pizza pie. That is always good. But uh, my my uh, mother in law likes to make her pizzas at her house when she does homemade pizza with sausage. So uh, I am starting to make a turn for that. That is also very good. And there's also the tradition of maybe dipping your pizza in different sauces. I know there are some people who are uh, kind of have an affinity for that. What about you, uh, Glenn? Well, I grew up where Sunday nights were pizza night, and it would be the Chef Boyardee boxes that, that would come with the, <laughs> the uh, crust. You'd roll out and put your own toppings on it and, and go to town. We'd watch Wide World of Disney there and uh, Wonderful World of Disney. I guess it was Wide World of Sports. But anyway, I had the agony of defeat myself one day by dumping over the TV tray with the pizza on it, business side down on the carpeting. Oh, that couldn't have been a, a happy day. And I do remember a happy day, though, when we had almost completely homemade pizza. My mom had made bread that day, so we used some of that dough for the crust and uh, tomatoes sauce from the Garden Tomatoes. And uh, my dad, a big deer hunter, we had venison for the meat on there. And since we lived in the city and didn't have a cow, we did have to have store-bought cheese. But uh, that was that was pretty good. Uh, as for me now, I think it's just a matter of sometimes raiding the fridge for extra ingredients to put on top of the uh, the poor uh, frozen pizza. That's about my speed today. You're making me hungry. Uh, for those folks uh, that uh, don't want to uh, cook pizzas themselves at home, uh, thank goodness we have, uh, you know, Pizza Hut and Domino's and Little Caesars uh, just, uh, uh, you know, close by in just about any neighborhood in America. It's a great country, John. It's a great country. It really is. As always, uh, thanks so much, uh, Glenn and Sarah. Sure thing. We begin every hour here on Morning Air. First things first, always in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings, keeping in mind that every day is a blessing, every day is a gift. And we always ask through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, a patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning here on the show when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You can always find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show. And of course, you can send us an email with your thoughts, morningair at relevantradio.com. A number of you want to be part of the program this morning, 888 914 Now, if you believe in the reality of spiritual warfare, uh, this is very concerning. Earlier this month, the Satanic Temple announced and invited people to participate in the so-called SatanCon 2023, advertised as the largest Satanic gathering in history, which will be taking place from April 28th to April 30th in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. The theme is Hexenot in Boston, which translates to Witch's Night in Boston. As Catholics and uh, other Christians, what should our response to this type of event be. Joining us now is a friend of Morning Air, licensed psychologist, and an exorcist, Monsignor Stephen Rossetti, with much more perspective on this upcoming satanic gathering. Monsignor Rossetti is the chief exorcist of the Archdiocese of Washington. He's also the head of the St. Michael Center for Spiritual Renewal. Uh, Monsignor Rossetti uh, is also the author of The Diary of an American Exorcist, Demons, Possession, and the Modern-Day Battle Against Ancient Evil. And since 2009, he has served as the chaplain of the Washington Nationals. Monsignor Rossetti, welcome back to Morning Air. Great to be with you. Thanks uh, for taking the time here, our first visit uh, of the new year. Thanks, Josh. Great to be with you and all my friends at Relevant Radio. Uh, Monsignor, uh, what are your thoughts? What goes through your mind uh, when you hear about this uh, upcoming uh, satanic gathering, SatanCon 2023? Well, I think all of us uh, are kind of shocked by it, frankly. Uh, well, first of all, I don't want to give it too much airtime in the sense that uh, we think there are not hundreds of thousands of people doing that. There's still a small group of people who are pretty fringe. Uh, but still, it's, it's, it's a, I think, a symptom of, of our day in which Christianity is being uh, cast aside by many and then once you stop believing in Christ, I mean, frankly, uh, you believe in anything, and, and this is a good example of it. Uh, Monsignor Rossetti, how, how concerning is it uh, to see an event uh, that's being promoted, is being advertised? Uh, there's all kinds of stories from uh, big publications like uh, the, the Boston Globe promoting it, uh, trying to yeah. make it in some ways to, to come across as, as mainstream, uh, something that has uh, Satan in its very name. Well, uh, it's, there's a huge shift these days uh, where magic is considered to be mainstream. I mean, if you watch all the television shows today, you people seem to say that magic is good and being a witch is good. And there's a short trip from that to, I think, Satan, it's not so bad. So it but as uh, it, it's it's patently obvious, that I think, I mean, how can you possibly think of the figure of Satan being a good figure? And I think the people are, are deluded and deceived. Uh, Satan can't give you what he doesn't have. Satan is an angry, uh, violent, uh, narcissistic uh, sadist. 
And he's not going to make you happy, even in this life, not to mention the next. So I think the people who are joining this organization uh, and participating are in for a rude awakening. Well, uh, speaking of uh, making magic and, and witches mainstream, uh, Salem, Massachusetts is the headquarters uh, of this outfit, wow. uh, the the uh, uh, satanic um, uh, temple, I believe is what they are called. Uh, it's kind of interesting because uh, Salem, Massachusetts has, has a long uh, history mm-hmm. um, with these type of, uh, of encounters. Uh, can you maybe talk a little bit about how... Uh, the, the devil is trying to get into the minds of, uh, of many American people. Yeah. Well, the, the, this group often says, well, we don't really believe in Satan. We're just, uh, we believe in human freedom, human uh, fulfillment and equality. And we just, we don't really believe in a, the figure of Satan. But the reality is, the spiritual reality is that if you wear those robes, and show up for the ceremony, and you actually engage in one of these rituals, it, it's, it's their version of baptism, if you will. You, you are uh, bonding yourself to the evil one, whether you intend it or not. And we've had people come to us who uh, were duped like this and uh, are possessed. And it's a long fight. Uh, one of the most difficult cases to deal with exorcists is someone who belonged to a satanic cult. Well, Monsignor, uh, obviously you've had a lot of experience uh, being an exorcist priest. Uh, can you you talk about some of the additional uh, risks of getting involved with this uh, type of, uh, of, um, of gathering and this type of movement? Yeah. yeah, it's not a game. I mean, people say, oh, well, I didn't really intend that. I didn't really mean it. Or you, you've heard stories of people saying, well, we're playing with Ouija boards because we thought it was a fun parlor game, and all of a sudden some ugly thing happened. And we've had that happen. People come to us who, who say, I didn't intend it. But when you, when you get your, involved in these sorts of things, you open the door uh, to evil and the darkness, uh, and uh, you're going to pay the price, frankly. Monsignor, what do you think makes these these people uh, a tick? Uh, here in, in the state of Illinois, uh, there was a big fight uh, at the state capitol. Uh, the Illinois um, uh, Satanic Temple uh, wanted uh, to have uh, their display uh, kind of uh, an answer to uh, nativity scenes. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah. they were going back and forth uh, about doing that here in Illinois. Yeah, I... Uh... You know, I think just human reason at some point has to uh, has to prevail. But I know we want to be open to any sort of religion, but the reality is, is uh, Satanism is not really a religion. It's a very evil force. I mean, if someone said we want to start a Nazi group in our your school and we're going to hail us uh, Hitler and be neo Nazis in your high school or your elementary school. Everybody would be in arms. This is worse. The Satanism is, is worse. And they wanted to bring them in our school. They want to say, well, we want to have these satanic groups in elementary school. So I think we have to just be reasonable about it. I mean, Satan is a very, like you couldn't get a more evil figure. Uh, and we as Christians know it's a very real figure. Uh, so the dangers are not to be underestimated. Would you agree that the average Catholic is is not really well uh, instructed in in the the basics on uh, angels and and demons and uh, their activity, uh, their existence? In fact, there's a lot of Catholics who don't even believe in in the devil and demons, unfortunately. 
Yeah. Well, the current Holy Father has spoken more about the reality of Satan uh, in the in the world than uh, even actually some previous popes. I mean, as good as the previous ones have been, he's actually very uh, out front about this. So I think we need to teach more and preach more. But one thing I would say, you learn this as an exorcist. Jesus is Lord. And so when we've had people come, when we do have people come to us who used to belong to a satanic cult or they were involved in witchcraft, you know, they, and, and the demons will tell them. They can hear the voice in their head. They say, you belong to us. You, you can't. No, there's no hope for you. You're, you belong to us. Because that's what they say. You join the cult. You belong to us. And I tell them, no. The cross of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, cancels your cult, cancels your connection, and breaks it. And so you are set free by Christ. So I say to all these people, never lose hope. Turn to Jesus. He will break that bond between you and the satanic cult. Uh, Monsignor Rossetti, um, there is an evangelical uh, pastor named Greg Locke in Tennessee um, with uh, the uh, Global Vision Bible Church, and he announced on Twitter uh, that they're organizing a massive gathering and a deliverance service in protest of this upcoming uh, Satan Con 2023. Uh, your thoughts? Well, I think it's always good uh, that the power of Christ is invoked, and that's really our job. And I was so pleased at all you're doing in terms of the pro-life march. So same thing. I mean, uh, uh, the figure of, uh, for example, Moloch or, or Baal uh, is actually a child sacrifice uh, uh, figure. And so it's connected, you know, the, the culture of death and Satanism. It's, it's so we, we fast and pray for the pro-life march. We fast and pray for any of these satanic cults that, that are meeting. How can we, uh, as Catholics, uh, put on the whole armor of God, as St. Paul uh, uh, writes about it in Ephesians uh, 6? Uh, uh, people who really believe in the Lord uh, and, and refuse uh, Satan and evil, what can we show? How can we show our opposition uh, to this uh, yeah. Satan con? The most powerful thing we have is the, the community of the faithful gathered in the Holy Eucharist. I mean, that is, that is the, the presence of Christ sacramentally in this world and a very powerful moment. Of course, there are others, too. The rosary, I mean, but the rosary is a powerful uh, a sacramental, uh, and Our Lady is just crushes Satan's head. And so Satan's dust compared to the Blessed Virgin, you know, so we invoke her, her help. Uh, we uh, receive the sacraments of the Church, and of course, we go to confession. Very, very important. Uh, Monsignor, uh, recently there has been a movement uh, in a lot of parishes. I have seen a lot of parishes here in the Chicago area uh, that have been praying uh, the St. Michael the Archangel prayer, the traditional mm -hmm. prayer after Mass, and it's it's a beautiful thing uh, to see in some ways uh, that prayer resurrected, uh, as, as we call on the powerful intercession of St. Michael the Archangel. Yeah, I, I like it. I mean, obviously we have to we we only can do it if the if the pa the pastor and the bishop uh, you know allow it in the in the diocese but it's a wonderful thing i mean <clears throat> in this day i think this this emergence of these satanic cults and witchcraft are a symptom of the rise frankly the rise of evil in our society today in a very explicit way and all the violence against catholic churches that was never uh the case 50 years ago there there are over 100, 100 uh, violent acts against the Catholic Church and desecration. So uh, it's time. It's time to for us to be more explicit in our 
invoking of St. Michael and the Virgin and the Church to, to cast out evil, because it's the spiritual warfare, which might have been hidden in the past, it's not hidden today. You know, tomorrow, of course, is the uh, the March for Life, the National March for Life in Washington, D.C., and, and uh, this weekend there'll be a, a march in uh, or a walk, the West Coast Walk for Life in San Francisco, uh, the uh, events in, in, in uh, Los Angeles and many other parts of, of the country. Uh, it, this is really, uh, at its uh, root, a spiritual battle. Can you uh, talk mm. briefly about the, the spiritual component of, of this battle between the culture of life and the culture of death? Yeah, I mean, that's really that's really the, the nub of it. Uh, choose life or you choose death. And uh, But I'm, I've, I've been involved in the, in the march uh, many years, and I, it's so inspiring, you know, to see these young people. Uh, for every, you know, some young people are involved in Satanism, there's a lot more involved in life and faith and prayer. So I would just tell people, as dark as it might seem today, I have great hope. And I see so much faith in so many young people that uh, encourages me. Well, Monsignor, I always uh, appreciate uh, your perspective. Uh, you know firsthand uh, just how, how diabolical uh, the, this evil that we're facing uh, in our country is. And uh, with e- events uh, being advertised uh, like uh, this uh, SatanCom 2023, uh, we need to, to put on the, f- the full armor of God. Thanks so much, uh, Monsignor. Really appreciate you being with us. My pleasure, John, and God bless you and all there. Many blessings to you. Monsignor uh, Stephen Rossetti, the author of uh, Diary of an American Exorcist, Demons, Possession, and the Modern Day Battle Against Evil. We need to take uh, a short break. When Morning Air continues, our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, uh, will tell us about the week of prayer for Christian unity and what this octave means for the body of Christ. So stay with us. We're headed down the stretch as Morning Air continues on this Thursday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. It's Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverett. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and producer Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from Jeremiah 29, 13. The Old Testament prophet says, You shall seek me and shall find me when you shall seek me with all your heart. This is what true devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ is all about. It's about giving Jesus the Lord your entire heart, not just going through the motions. It's about seeking Christ with everything you have, your whole heart, and making Jesus the Lord number one in your life and then everything else falls into place. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Our number, again, if you want to be part of our conversation this morning, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. 
Now, uh, as we've talked about earlier this week on Wednesday, uh, we started the annual Week of Prayer for Christian Unity, which culminates with the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul the Apostle, which is celebrated in Rome at the beautiful Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls uh, in uh, the Eternal City uh, next Wednesday. Uh, The Week of Prayer for Christian Unity finds its roots uh, back in the 19th century when Pope Leo XIII encouraged the practice of a prayer octave for unity. During this week, traditionally Catholic, Orthodox, Lutheran, Baptist, Pentecostal, and other Protestant denominations are all invited to pray in a particular way for unity among Christians. Now, joining us live is our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, with much more on the meaning of uh, this octave of prayer for Christian unity. Father Kabicki is a Jesuit priest, a retreat director, and spiritual director at the St. Francis de Sales Seminary in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, a relevant radio contributor with his daily prayer reflections, as well as a longtime contributor to Morning Air. Good morning, uh, Father Kabicki. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you once again. Oh, thank you, John. Good to be with you and our listeners as well, especially on this second day of our uh, week of prayer for Christian unity, uh, which, you know, I think is, is one of the most important intentions that we should be praying for every day because. Um, Jesus himself prayed for this in, in, at the Last Supper, right before he went to his death. He prayed according to John's Gospel, chapter 17. Uh, he prayed to the Father. He said, Father, may they, my followers, be one as you and I are one, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And so a, a big work or a big part of evangelization and uh, the mission of the church in the world is to witness to Jesus as Lord. And we can only do that more convincingly if we are visibly one, not just one in kind of a, of a spiritual sense, but also that we display to the world a visible unity that tells the world that Jesus is Lord and that if we follow him, we will be able to find peace among humanity but unfortunately, the the reality is that we are not yet uh, visibly one. Uh, there's uh, many, many uh, Christian re- uh, denominations out there uh, along uh, with the Catholic Church. But I think that to aspire to this unity that our Lord uh, prayed about, that uh, we may all be one as, as he and the Father are one, is something definitely uh, very noble and very worthy uh, to shoot for. And especially uh, here uh, in 2023, uh, at, at a time in in our history when there's so many attacks and challenges on not just us Catholics but other Christians as well. Oh, that's so true, John. And you know, it it just seems that uh, the the longer we go into you know into the future, the the more we advance, we're really falling further behind. That we're becoming more and more divided. That um, people. Um, you know, the number of Christian denominations just has in, increased so much in, into the tens of thousands of different groups. And again, you know, this is uh, really uh, important because, for example, my experience um, in South Dakota working among Native people, um, they would, would ask that question. They would say, well, you know, how can we uh, believe which uh, of these uh, denominations is the right one, and because you've got Catholics and Episcopals and Presbyterians, and then you've got Evangelical, uh, Baptists, and and um, you're all Christian, but you're not on the same page. And so, why should we believe in Christianity? 
And so, you know, for the work of the church to spread the gospel, we we really need to um, give a, a unified witness to the world um, that tells the world uh, Christianity is true and uh, that Jesus is our Savior. You uh, you shared that powerful scripture from uh, John 17, uh, that uh, uh, priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus uh, for unity at the Last Supper. Uh, the last part of, of, of that scripture that you shared, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. How in the world is the world going to believe that, that we actually follow Christ if we're all divided? That's right. That's, that is the question, John. And that's why, you know, this intention... Um, which has always been part of the church, but uh, as you had mentioned at the beginning, uh, Pope Leo XIII called for prayer, and then there there were two Episcopalians, uh, a priest and a nun, in the United States who in 1908 decided to celebrate uh, this week of prayer for Christian unity, beginning on January 18th, ending on the 25th, and um, they very shortly after they began praying together, um, became Catholic. They they entered the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, then in 1916, Pope St. Pius X gave his approval to this week-long celebration. And Pope Benedict XV then extended the observance to the whole universal church. And so, you know, since the early part of the 20th century, um, the uh, Vatican and then the World Council of Churches have, have come together to say this is important and we want every Christian to be praying for Christian unity. Well, it's a, it's a beautiful thing uh, to, to pray and to aspire for that Christian unity. Uh, I, I believe that we have much more in common than we have uh, differences. Obviously, uh, for us Catholics who believe that the Catholic Church is the, is the true church that Jesus founded, we still have to, to love our brothers and sisters outside the church, other Christians. We do have a lot in common with them. Uh, can you talk about the connection uh, with this octave, this week of prayer for Christian unity and uh Next week speaks to the conversion of the Apostle St. Paul. Well, when uh, when this first began, um, it was Father Watson and Sister Lurana who um, um, they, they decided that the best time to celebrate this would be January 18th to January 25th. And at the time, in the early part of the 20th century, January 18th was a feast in honor of the chair of St. Peter. At that time, there were two feast days. One was February 22nd, and the other was January 18th, basically honoring two places where St. Peter was bishop. First of all, he was in Antioch, and then he was in Rome. And so they felt, you know, to start this prayer uh, this week of prayer, beginning with um, St. Peter's Feast and then ending with a feast in honor of St. Paul, would be a way of, of looking to these two pillars of the Church, of the Roman Church, that, that could bring everybody together. And when we look to next week, uh, Wednesday the 25th, the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul, it's a feast that we—you uh, could say it's St. Paul, we all— Christians hold in common. We we look to the New Testament, and we look to St. Paul in particular. And so uh, praying with him and uh, remembering his conversion can be a way that we pray for the conversion of our own hearts, that all Christians may come together. So it's it's a really a beautiful time of the year 
when we anticipate this feast of the conversion of St. Paul and pray that our own uh, church, our own hearts may be converted in such a way that uh, uh, visible unity comes about. And traditionally, this uh, celebration uh, takes place in the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls, uh, which is a, uh, a gorgeous, beautiful place uh, for anybody that's ever been there, uh, maybe second only uh, to St. Peter's itself, St. Peter's Basilica. But uh, to see uh, the Holy Fathers uh, in recent years, uh, uh, John Paul II, uh, Pope Benedict, and now uh, uh, Pope Francis, um, with all these other leaders from all these different denominations and uh, and especially our Eastern Orthodox uh, brothers, some of the patriarchs, to see them all there praying together and to see uh, the Pope uh, as the vicar of Christ right in the middle. It's a beautiful thing. Yes, I've I've never been to uh, that particular basilica, one of the four major basilicas in Rome, uh, Paul outside the walls. But I, I feel a real connection to it. Um, not only because of, you know, the significance it has for the church, but the fact that there's a kind of local connection. So uh, Cardinal Harvey, who is uh, was a, a member of the presbyterate, he was a priest of the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, where I am now serving. Uh, Cardinal Harvey is the uh, cardinal pastor, as it were, the prefect of that particular church. And um, just a couple of weeks ago, the seminarians from the seminary where I work, St. Francis de Sales Seminary, uh, the seminarians were there in Rome, and uh, Cardinal Harvey um, hosted them for a dinner. And uh, an, an amazing thing is the, the cardinal also invited Cardinal Pell from Australia, who died just a few days after that, and he spoke to the seminarians for about 45 minutes. So, um, you know, it's it's amazing how um, we can look at the universal church, and even, you know, in this case, we have a, a real local connection with the United States to that particular church. Well, Father Kabicki, uh, I count my blessings. Um, I have had the opportunity to visit uh, the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls uh, on, on a number of occasions in my travels to Rome. And the, the one that really stands out was the time that I was working uh, for Relevant Radio back in the early days, uh, covering the ad limina visits of, of, the, of Cardinal George and the, all the bishops from the Midwest. And uh, they were there all praying the Apostles' Creed right in front of the tomb of uh, St. Paul the Apostle. And I remember what a what an incredible moment that was for me to be uh, there as a young reporter, just to be among uh, all those uh, successors to the Apostles united in prayer, invoking St. Paul. Wow, John, that's great. And, you know, maybe our listeners, I, I'd like to ask our listeners if, if they've ever been to that particular basilica, St. Paul Outside the Walls, or if they've made a pilgrimage to Rome, what that meant for them. And and maybe, uh, you know, if in our parishes we're celebrating this special week of, of prayer for Christian unity, how, how are you doing that personally, and how is your parish doing that? So it'd be great to hear from some of our listeners about this topic. Absolutely, for sure, uh, if um, the idea of praying for Christian unity uh, means something to you and you'd like to, to share it, if you've been to uh, the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls uh, in Rome, I'd love to, to hear from you. We're taking your calls for Father James Kabicki, our spiritual director at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We're going to take a short break as we continue our conversation with Father Kabicki. Stay with us. There is more to come on the other side. We are bleeding. 
You gotta love it. Welcome back to Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for tuning in on this Thursday as we continue our conversation with our spiritual director, Father James Kabicki, the spiritual director at the St. Francis de Sales Seminary in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, and he's also an outstanding retreat director. We're talking about the Octave of Prayer for Christian Unity. If you have any thoughts, uh, feel free to chime in. Uh, you can be part of our uh, discussion at triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. That's triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. If you want to share with us uh, what you're doing uh, locally at your parish to promote uh, this uh, week of prayer for Christian unity, we'd love to hear from you, uh, Father Kabicki. Um, can you talk about the the theme that uh, has been chosen for this year's uh, octave? Well, every year, a different uh, part of the world, uh, Christians, Catholics, and non-Catholic Christians uh, come together to choose a particular theme. And last year, it was a group of Christians from Lebanon. This year, amazingly enough, I think, is it's a group of Christians from Minnesota. And the theme, they prayed together, and, and they came up with the theme, and usually it, it arises from a scripture passage. And so the scripture passage is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Do good, seek justice. And you might wonder, well, how, why did they come up with that theme, or, or what does that have to do with Christian unity? And I, I can't help going, um, I have to go back to Pope St. John Paul II, who in his great encyclical, on uh, the Gospel of Life, said that one of the ways that we can promote Christian unity and ecumenism is to come together for uh, to address some of the, the great crises and issues of our day, in particular life. And so this particular passage of Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, do good, seek justice, basically uh, it's saying, you know, that if Christians work together for the common good, and seek justice for all people, especially those who are the most vulnerable or most ignored, uh, that this can be a way that Christians come together in a visible unity for the world. Well, Father Kabicki, um, St. John Paul II uh, had on his heart uh, the importance of unity. In fact, he actually wrote an encyclical on unity, and he met with many, many leaders uh, during his uh, pontificate uh, from other denominations and other churches. That's right. And, you know, the encyclical, the Latin is ut unum sint, and it comes from that line we talked about from the Gospel of John, chapter 17. It's, it's Jesus' deep desire that they may be one so that the world may believe, that they may be one. And so uh, certainly it was uh, um, a, a, let's say, a prayer intention and a desire that was very close to St. John Paul II's heart, um, because he, again, looking out at the world and being uh, someone who experienced both uh, the oppression of Nazism and then communism, um, he saw that the Church had a very important role to play in uh, bringing about justice and the possibility of peace. And in fact, you know, as, as we look at the influence he had on the Polish people and solidarity, and, you know, I, I really firmly believe that um, the cracks in the Berlin Wall and in the, uh, the Iron Curtain and in the fall of communism was directly related to St. John Paul's uh, prayer and his work. And uh, certainly as Christians came together 
to oppose uh, communism. Um, we, we see um, St. John Paul, I think, coming to a sense that, you know, it's prayer and working together will bring Christians together. Well, I, I loved uh, the, those images of, of St. Uh, Pope John Paul II uh, with other uh, leaders, especially the Orthodox. He had a, a real heart uh, for uh, the Orthodox churches. Uh, he wrote about how uh, the uh, right lung and the left lung of, of the church is uh, East and West, uh, Catholic and Orthodox. Well, it's, that's uh, so true, John, and as, as you were about before you said that, that's exactly what I was thinking, that St. John Paul, and it was in another letter that he wrote about our Blessed Mother and uh, the role that she has in both the Orthodox and and the Catholic churches, that um, she could be a way that would uh, help bring um, these two groups together. And and he did use that image of, of a healthy body having two lungs, the eastern lung of the church and the western lung of the church, and that the church needs to breathe with both of those lungs. So I, I think during this week, too, it, it, if any of our listeners, um, you know, could um, delve more into uh, orthodoxy and Christian, uh, the 23 different Catholic churches, these are uh, churches that come from the East but are in union with Rome, and to learn more about them and um, to learn to breathe with that Eastern lung of the church, that, that would be a great way, too, of uh, celebrating this special week of prayer for Christian unity. Absolutely. Uh, th- those Eastern churches are absolutely uh, gorgeous. I've had the opportunity to uh, attend several of them, uh, including uh, the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church uh, with our uh, very own uh, relevant radio uh, contributor, Father Kuzma, who uh, uh, is the pastor of, of a church here locally in the Chicago area. They, they are absolutely fantastic. Um, Eddie is joining us uh, from the Windy City from Chicago. Eddie, good morning. You're on with Father Kabiki. One of the things that uh, uh, struck me uh, as beauty when you arrived to the Basilica um, was the the statue, uh, the presence, uh, the sternness, the strong um, figure of uh, St. Peter with a sword in his hand. Not a threatening um, stance, but just a a very strong stance for us to to recall that as, as Catholics. And, and at, at the back of the basilica, um, or to the front, as you walk through the basilica, there's a, a statue of, of St. Stephen Martyr. Um, and that also um, brings to light um, who uh, St. Paul is, or, um, that he really um, repented um, strongly of uh, his actions and, and, and what he did at that time. And... How how important that is um, for us today that he, that brings a, a total picture or can bring a total picture uh, to people that visit um, the basilica. Thank you. Oh, mm-hmm. well, thank you, thank you, Eddie. Yeah, I, it's good to always have people, witnesses, eyewitnesses who've been to these places, and you know what what you speak about that sword, uh, the strength of of those early church figures and the martyrs. And uh, that, that is another aspect, I think, of Christian unity that um, Pope uh, uh, Benedict and Pope Francis have talked about it. They call it the ecumenism of blood, that um, many Christians around the world 
are being killed, and they're not being asked, are you Lutheran, are you Presbyterian, are you Catholic? It's, are you Christian? And and they're being killed for being Christian. And so there's a certain sense where um, we see some of that visible unity in the witness that today's martyrs are giving uh, to the Christian faith. Thank you, Eddie. Thanks so much, Eddie. Really appreciate it. Uh, Joe is uh, joining us this morning from uh, uh, Passaic, New Jersey. Uh, Joe, good morning. Uh, welcome to the show. Good morning. God bless you guys. Uh, quick question. Is the Orthodox Church actively engaged in canonizing saints? And are the saints that are already there, are they, uh, for lack of better terminology, left over from the Roman Rite, or are those strictly Orthodox saints? Oh, that's a great question, Joe. And uh, the answer is that the Orthodox Church is uh, today canonizing new saints, not just saints uh, from the past. Um, They don't canonize uh, saints um, from long ago because they recognize those canonizations and, and those saints, the apostles. So they don't go through a process of canonization for those uh, centuries old saints. But more recently, they've, they've canonized uh, saints who were victims of the communist revolution in Russia and other places. So um, they are recognizing their uh, the recent martyrs uh, with their own process of canonization. So um, that that's a great question, Joe. Thanks for asking. Appreciate it, Joe and uh, Father Kabicki. Uh, some of the most famous saints are saints that we share with both East and West, uh, you know, St. John Chrysostom uh, and, and many others uh, from the early Church. That's right, um, many of the apostles. In fact, you know, it, it pretty much goes until the, the 1200s when, when the, the break became uh, kind of definitive between Orthodoxy and, and, the, Christian, and the Catholic Churches. Um, but uh, up until then, you know, we recognize different saints together uh, from those times. Uh, I believe uh, the Orthodox Church would recognize uh, St. Francis, and uh, in many ways, uh, there's a lot of Catholics who are drawn to St. Seraphim Sarov, who was a 19th century Russian saint who um, was, they call him a modern day uh, St. Francis. And while he's not recognized officially in the Catholic Church with a feast day and such, there are, are many people who are drawn to him because of, of his holiness. Well, Father Kabicki, I really appreciate uh, your perspective uh, here uh, on this important uh, week of prayer for Christian unity. Uh, We're in day two. It'll end uh, next Wednesday uh, on the Feast of the Conversion of the Apostles St. Paul. Can you leave us uh, with a brief prayer? I'd be happy to do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us, and we ask you in a special way to bless our churches, the Christian churches, with visible unity, so that we may witness to the power of the Holy Spirit and to Jesus as Lord. And may your blessing come upon all those who are listening and our families and friends. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Father Kabicki, as always, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Goodbye. Father James Kabicki, our spiritual director. And now it's time for another edition of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Try This by J. Allen Peterson. Newspaper columnist and minister George Crane tells of a wife who came into his office full of hatred toward her husband. 
I do not only want to get rid of him, I want to get even. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he has me. Dr. Crane suggested an ingenious plan. Go home and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be as kind, considerate, and generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe you love him. After you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, then drop the bomb. Tell him you're getting a divorce. That'll really hurt him. With revenge in her eyes, she smiled and exclaimed, Beautiful, beautiful, will he ever be surprised? And she did it with enthusiasm, acting as if. For two months, she showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, and sharing. When she didn't return, Crane called. Are you ready now to go through with the divorce? Divorce, she exclaimed, never. I discovered I really do love him. Her actions had changed her feelings. Motion resulted in emotion. The ability to love is established not so much by fervent promise as often repeated deeds. James 2.17 says in the same way, faith by itself, it's, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. As always, Glenn, thanks so much for another inspirational story corner. And that'll do it for uh, this Thursday edition of Morning Air. For Glenn Leverance, producer Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, our entire Morning Air team. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Friday for our special March for Life edition of Morning Air. The Patrick Madrid Show is straight ahead. <laughs>